Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Good morning, guys. Welcome. Glad that you guys are here. Hey, wasn't it great to have uh, Brian descend the lead in worship again here at RVC? It's been a really long time. Luke, the whole, the whole band was back together this morning. What a blessing and fun time. If you've been a part of RVC for some period of time, uh, you know that they've been a part of our team and worship for the last um, 10 years or so. So um, do I have some music playing? Beh- I, okay, I thought we said back in black when I came on stage, but okay. Hey, turn your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. Matthew, chapter 5, this morning, as we continue our series In the Sermon on the Mount called Citizens of the Kingdom, we're learning about what it means to be a citizen of God's kingdom. We're looking at verse 31 and 32 this morning and the subject of marriage, marriage, divorce, singleness, uh, what Jesus has to say about that as citizens of God's kingdom. We want to line our lives up with what he desires for us. Uh, There was a pastor once who was teaching a group of uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders and wanted to get their understanding of what they thought about the, what the Bible had to say about marriage. And the pastor said, uh, does anybody know what Jesus says about marriage? And finally, one little kid raised his hand and said, um, I think Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I said, no, that's not exactly what he said. You know, there's a German proverb that says, marriage is either heaven or hell. It doesn't have to be like that. In fact, this morning as we kind of close out our message, we're talking about some different ways to improve and strengthen uh, if you are married here this morning, uh, but it's going to take some work if your marriage is not in the heaven category. The Bible has a lot to say about marriage today. It's about what Jesus says to the group of disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We're also going to look at the blessedness of being single. And, uh, and, and what an incredible season of life that is for each of you who are finding yourselves in that state where you're single and maybe you want to get married, but man, to be content exactly where you are. The gospel of Jesus, by the way, it affects every area of our life and especially the area of our relationships that we have with other people. God's word gives us light. It gives us a map to live as citizens of the kingdom. In fact, uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount, is really the, the, the thought that if Jesus were the king of my heart and life, this is how he's asking me to live. This is, asking, he's, this is what he's asking me and how to view this world, how to view relationships, in particular today, how to view uh, marriage and divorce. He uh, brings up a series of six commands that the, that the Pharisees and scribes had uh, been very vocal on giving their interpretation. Now, nobody uh, during that time period, except for the scribes and the Pharisees, read Hebrew. They had all came back from Babylonian captivity. They spoke Aramaic. They spoke Greek. But none of them actually could understand or read the Hebrew scriptures. And so the Pharisees would teach, and then they would say, well, this is what God meant Jesus is here to say, no, this is exactly what God meant. The first two commands he dealt with were uh, the command, thou shall not murder and thou shall not commit adultery. And Jesus gave the intent behind those commands. The spirit of those commands was that you and I should not walk around with hearts filled with anger, 
nor should we be controlled by lust and desire and covetousness. In fact, you look at the order, now it gets to the issue of divorce and marriage, and you can see how they all sort of fit together. For a person or a marriage that has a lot of anger and fits of rage and certainly uncontrolled lust in it will certainly cause a lot of problems for a marriage and could be the driving force behind a divorce. Let's begin with an understanding of what God thinks about divorce. Malachi chapter 2, God says in verse 16, The Lord hates divorce. In fact, it says, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. And yet God allows for divorce in a very few amount of circumstances. And even when, by the way, there's no grounds for a biblical divorce, he forgives those who've gone through it. I kind of want to begin this morning with that frame of mind. The fact that uh, divorce is like any other sin if we are breaking that covenant outside of the qualifications that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 19. It's like any other sin. Our sins are forgiven, and God's grace is always greater than our sins. There's consequences for all of our disobedience. All of us experience those ramifications of choices that we make, and certainly divorcing without a biblical reason creates some uh, unfortunate circumstances that many of you have felt and experienced, whether it was a biblical divorce or not. Uh, The reason why I say that is because sometimes in the church, we can treat those who've gone through a divorce as if they had committed the unpardonable sin, uh, the unforgivable sin, which the only unforgivable sin there is that we know of in Scripture is the the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So we want to make sure that everyone understands that God's grace is always greater than our mistakes. Amen? Amen. Having said that, let's get on board with what Jesus has to say about being married and single, as he has a lot to say. Uh, In in fact, actually, it's just two verses that he has a lot to say about. It's verse 31 and 32. Jesus says this. He says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery as well. Well, we need to unpack that a little bit. When it says it was said, it's again, it's another uh, uh, you know, phrase that Jesus said earlier in dealing with, you have heard it said, thou shall not murder. You have heard it said, thou shall not commit adultery. This is another, he's saying that you have heard the way the Pharisees have interpreted God's commands. Now, this command that he's referring to is found in Deuteronomy chapter 24. And God gave this law about divorce, giving a wife a certificate of divorce because divorce was running rampant in the Jewish society at that time. And it was to control divorce, to make it more difficult for a couple to actually uh, dissolve that marriage. Now, their interpretation of how it, uh, to, if, if, a, if a man saw that his wife was unclean in his eyes. That's, so uh, we see that Jesus makes reference to that. It was over adultery. But they interpreted it as any reason that he saw fit. So there, she was making his poached eggs in the morning. He's like, you know what? I'm not really into your poached eggs anymore. Woman, I need to see you later. You need to take off. 
and he gave her a certificate of divorce. You can see how this was a, a very bad situation. Uh, she was no longer interesting to him. He would give her a certificate of divorce. Uh, she burnt the toast, certificate of divorce. Uh, another more interesting gal came around, a certificate of divorce. We're no longer compatible. When on earth has there ever been a couple that was actually compatible? <laughs> Woman, you're out. <laughs> you give her a certificate of divorce. By the way, in Deuteronomy 24, that was to protect her. Because others would look and judge her and wonder, did she commit adultery? And so their certificate made sure that she was protected. Because in that time period, the, the penalty for adultery was to be stoned to death. We see that in John's gospel that we'll make reference to in just a few moments. It was to protect that woman. But it was also to emphasize the seriousness of marriage, that you had to go through some sort of process in order to actually be, uh, dissolve that union. There's something else that Deuteronomy chapter 24 would, would also bring up about divorce, giving that certificate of divorce, is the command was that, and you cannot go and remarry that wife to let those guys know that you can't just walk in that woman's life and out of it as you see fit. If you get divorced, you cannot go back to that relationship in uh, according to what Jesus or what Deuteronomy 24 says. So Jesus says, it has been said this, and then it goes to, but I say to you. And this would have been shocking to them because they all had heard it over and over and over in their head that, well, John's parents got divorced because, well, she couldn't figure out how to make poached eggs or this or that. He says, but I say to you, and he gives the spirit behind the, the, the law of divorce, if you would, that it was for only that particular reason. Now, I mentioned Matthew chapter 19. In fact, I'm going to ask you to make a right-hand turn to Matthew 19. It's literally like 13 or 14 chapters away. I wasn't good at math, so you figure that out. 19 minus, yeah, 14 chapters away. And Jesus was teaching, uh, uh, he actually, it's almost like the commentary on this section in, on the Sermon on the Mount. As the Pharisees want some greater clarity, they actually want to also like kind of catch him. It says the Pharisees in verse 3 of chapter 19, and the, and the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? They're like, hey man, we heard what you said on the Sermon on the Mount. We just want to know, because our rabbis are teaching that you can actually get divorced for any reason. All the things that I said, not compatible, no longer interesting, whatever it was. And he answered them, have you not read? I love that he says that to the guys whose profession was to read the scriptures. <laughs> have you not read? It's like going up to your teacher. Have you? No, don't ever do that, by the way. Have you not read that, that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife or cleave to his wife. And the two shall become what? One flesh. So there are no longer two but one. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Then they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed. See the change of words? He didn't command you to get divorced. He allowed you to get divorced because of the hardness of your heart. And then he says to them, 
But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual morality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Translation, the disciples are like, why didn't we know about that kind of a situation before we got married? How come this hasn't been taught to us before? You can see the disciples felt the actual weight of that covenant relationship, something I wish that we all would have that sense of like weight and, 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 uh, and, and God's intention behind marriage. It is a forever kind of thing. They asked him, why did Moses command? What's the purpose then of giving the law if God wanted them to stay together? He says, well, it's, it's to actually... Uh, because of the hardness of our hearts. Sometimes there are certain situations that a person cannot get past because the marriage covenant was broken through a physical act of adultery. He says, well, Moses in, the, in God's word gives you that permission, if you would. In fact, in, and by the way, we've had a little glitches on our uh, computer system today. Uh, so I would apologize for that. It's like a, a week old Mac and you know how it, it's already out of date. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you get an iPhone, you're like, hey, guess what? We got the iPhone 13. Awesome. Uh, so we got little situations going on. I don't think there's going to be anything behind me. Hopefully like no scary person. Okay, it's just a, their city. Uh, so you can write these things down, jot these down. Here's, here's what Jesus says about God's intention for divorce. Fact number one, God's intention for divorce is it is only because of marital unfaithfulness or sexual immorality. Jesus said it was a covenant that was between a man and a woman. And these two were never to dissolve that union because the two had become one. Something new had happened. And he says the only way that it can be dissolved is through a physical act of adultery. The Bible makes it clear. It's not because you fell out of love or you no longer see eye to eye or you're not compatible anymore or it, you have some irreconcilable differences, the number one reason why people get divorced. If you are married, there are lots of irreconcilable differences in your household. Do you put the toilet seat up or do you put it down? It depends on who's going in the restroom, Right? If you have a, a household of all boys, you just take the toilet seat completely off for like 18 years. It's <laughs> much sanitary that way. And so as we had a household of boys, like, guys, just go outside, right? Just like, you know, let's just go back 100, 200 years back. It wasn't a command, though. It was just an allowance. So that was God's intention for this divorce command we see in Deuteronomy 24. And this would have blown the, the Pharisees' uh, minds and certainly disciples even years later. A couple years later, they were still wrestling with them. Then, then if that's the case, a man shouldn't even get married. That's too much responsibility. He says, everyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds for unfaithfulness, he makes her commit adultery when she remarries and whoever remarries her. So what is that all about? In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, guys, like, you need to be a one-man, a, a one-man woman and a one-woman man. There we go. <laughs> Make sure I say that right. You need to be sexually active with your wife, and that's it. There was in the church at that time in Corinth, uh, some of you have called that uh, First Californians, because uh, much like our current uh, state in the 21st century, is that there was so much 
sexual morality going on within the church. There were temple, temples that, that had sacrifices that you would bring where they would engage in sexual activity. And Paul came along and said, listen, this is what God's word says. And, and, and then he described saying that and the, what happens that when a man is united with a temple prostitute, the two become one. Physically, they become one, and that's the description of uh, the relationship between a husband and a wife. This is why when someone would say, oh, it's just a one-night stand, or it's just a, a quick little fling, or, you know, like it was something, you know, like, oh, so it's magical, you know, and, and, and it brings such destruction in a household, because you have broken that physical bond between your spouse and you. I'm speaking metaphorically right now. I'm not speaking directly when I say you. I'm just saying like you, those who go to a different church. <laughs> the marriage oneness is broken when one party commits adultery. A bond has been broken and you've been united to another, one flesh. And that's why he says that allowance is for divorce. It's not a command but the allowance is there. God forgives. I'm so grateful that he forgives all of our sins, our sins that we commit in our hearts, those sins that we commit with our bodies. God's forgiveness is for everybody. And by the way, God will call a spouse to forgive as well, even the horrendous sin of adultery. And by God's grace, reconciliation can happen. I've seen God restore marriages Time after time after time, when two parties are willing to come together, do some serious hard work, get some counseling, and forgive, and God can bring restoration. There's one other clause we find in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 7, about a reason why a person would no longer be married, and it be something that God would, uh, would, would ordain or allow, and that is abandonment. So, uh, God's intention for divorce was that if there was adultery that was committed, and the second would be abandonment. So in 1 Corinthians, what was happening, or in, in Corinth, a uh, bunch of people, just wild partiers, all kinds of different, you know, pagan idols they were worshiping, and then someone would get saved. Do you, do you remember when you're like, uh, maybe you like kind of grew up, you weren't saved yet, and then like one by one, some of your friends started getting saved, and it was just almost like, hey, thanks for ruining my life, you know what I mean? It's like, we're no longer can have fun anymore, and gee, oh my gosh, you're so selfish. I can't believe you want to go and get hammered drunk and do a bunch of drugs with us, like, wow. I thought we were friends, Jerry. So I was trying to think of someone who doesn't come to our church right now. <laughs> and so that would happen in a marriage. Jerry got saved. And then his wife is just like going, dude, this is weird. You guys go and you guys sit and you sing to someone you can't see. You guys give money. You guys read the Bible together. You guys don't do wild party living any longer. And then they would, one by one, they would sort of just like abandon their Christian spouse. Now, Paul says if they're willing to live with you, stay married to them. And Peter tells us that you should seek to win your husband over without a word, just through your godly conduct. Husband, your godly conduct and your prayers for your spouse is enough that actually can win them over to Jesus Christ over time. But some would abandon their, their spouse. And Paul says, well, you're free. 
Because you can't control somebody. You can't make somebody stay. And so an abandoned marriage, someone departs. By the way, if it's a Christian person, they say, I just feel like I just need to leave this marriage. I would question whether or not they're truly a follower of Jesus Christ in the first place. And so they abandon that marriage. Now this isn't a clause for, hey, I married a non-Christian and now I've been going to this Bible study, and oh my gosh, I just met this godly person, and oh, we have so much in common. We love all the same worship songs. I feel like it's God's will for me to divorce my pagan, idol-worshiping spouse and be united to this person who just loves Jesus so much. If that guy loves Jesus so much, he wouldn't be talking to you, a married person. Can I get an Amen. I mean, outside of would you want cream for your coffee or not? <laughs> so that's just, and I, I bring that up because that happens in churches all the time. All the time. Again, other churches. <laughs> I'm not saying, when I do that to you, I'm not like pointing in any direction like Clovis Hills or Trinity Community Church. I'm just letting you know, direction, I know what's going on, okay? That's, so you know what? I'm just going to go, those churches over there, like, <laughs> Now I'm pointing at Highview over there. That's terrible of me. Okay. I think we get it, right? Abandonment. That's it. When it says that they, you caused her to commit adultery, this isn't a perpetual state of an adulterous relationship. For those of you who are married here today, and you're wondering, like, gosh, are we like, every time we come together, is God look at our marriage as this adulterous over and over and over and over and over relationship? No. Adultery breaks the physical bond of a physical union, right? And the only valid view that God has of divorce is that. So if there was divorce for that guy said, hey, you burnt the toast, I want to send you on your way. Jesus says, you, sir, have caused that adultery when she remarries or whoever remarries her. So that would have been something that would have blown their minds. You're the cause. Interesting, the Pharisees who were hearing this, they're the ones who saw adultery as such a horrendous sin that they willingly drugged the woman caught in adultery. They let their friend go, Jerry, because you can't be caught in a physical act of adultery as far as I can understand uh, without like two people being physically caught in the act of adultery. Am I right? But they're like, you know what? He's too fast. Let's just get her, drug her out there. It's a very kind of a sad moment uh, in, in, in scripture and a beautiful moment in scripture. And they threw her down and she stood up there before Jesus. Who knows what, you know, how quick she was able to pull herself together. And they all had rocks in their hands and they said, Jesus, Moses commands that a woman caught in the act of adultery deserves to be stoned. What do you say? Jesus sits down and he starts writing in the dirt. I don't know what he was writing. I don't know if he was making like a grocery list. I got to get some tilapia. I got to get some whatever it is. Almond butter. Can't get bacon yet, right? Because he was uh, fulfilling the law. Maybe he, maybe he wrote, maybe he started writing names. I don't know. Maybe he was writing names. Aaron. And then maybe he wrote a, a woman's name next to Aaron. And there's Aaron like, oh, you know what? Actually, I got to go get some tilapia at Trader Joe's. He drops his rock. They all start dropping their rocks. He says, he who is without sin, let him be the first to cast a stone. 
they were so intent on bringing destruction to her life because of adultery. And here Jesus is saying, those of you who just think you can get divorced for any old reason and send that woman with a certificate in her hand, you're the cause of a sin that you were willing to kill someone with stones over. That makes it heavy, doesn't it? It's not, in a, by the way, a continuous event of adultery. It just means that that's exactly what happened. If there was a marriage that was dissolved for out, without a physical reason for its dissolvement. Jesus shows them the intent of divorce. God allows it when unfaithfulness happens. He doesn't command it. I want to tell you, grace can heal, it, heal, heal a marriage. So what about citizens of the kingdom? I think what we gain from, from these passages in Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 19 is that we, we also see through it God's design for marriage. If you're jotting notes down, you can write that down. God does have a design for marriage. We gain insight from Jesus' statements on divorce. A husband and wife become one, and they commit their lives till death do us part. Marriage is a physical, permanent union that only can be broken by a physical cause, adultery or death. Those are the only two physical causes in God's eyes that can dissolve a marriage. Reconciliation, by the way, is always better. And can I encourage you this morning? There is no problem that your marriage has today that is beyond God's help. There's nothing you're facing right now that is beyond God's help. In fact, that would be a great statement and truth to share with a friend or a loved one whose marriage seems to be going through a difficult time. Man, there's nothing that is impossible for God to bring healing to, amen? And bring restoration to. We need to believe that. We need to share that. And by the way, if you've gone through the pain of divorce, can I encourage you, get healed up by Jesus. Can I encourage you to own what you need to own? There are parts that you played, but then can I encourage you to disown what isn't yours to carry around? Oftentimes when a husband and wife get divorced, there's someone that sort of has like a magical wand that makes one feel like you're the cause for everything. Uh, uh, unhealthy people are really good at that. Have you noticed that? Like, you know, someone grabs your hair and it's like, I'm so sorry, my hair got stuck in your hand. You know, it's like... <laughs> You know, you just go like, no, 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 no. There's some stuff that he or she needs to own. And you need to own your stuff. They need to own their stuff. You need to roll that off of you so you don't carry that bondage around. And the reason why you get healed up is so you can be a free man or woman walking with Jesus Christ. And if God would so bless, you won't carry that into your next marriage. So important to get healed up. Confront the areas that you need to grow in and don't carry it into another relationship. So we talk about um, God's design for marriage. Here's, here's one thought. You don't need to rush to be married. If you find yourself single this morning, man, don't rush to get married. You probably have some friends that want to tell you that, but they don't want to tell you that. Marriage is a good thing, but it's not the only thing in life. Sometimes there's benefits of being single that can outweigh being married. Paul was single. Jesus was single. And yet, sometimes in the church, we treat those who are single as a second-class citizen in the American church. Because, oh, you're not married? Oh, 
pray for you. <laughs> like going, no, everything's good, man. <laughs> I'm sorry I found contentment in Jesus. Is that not something I should be seeking after? No, no, no. You should be married. You should have kids by now. Man, we're, you know what? We just take some of the society, uh, society mumbo jumbo. <laughs> we sort of blend it in the word of God somewhere. You know what I mean? It's in the book of Fleshalonians. You should be married by the time you're 25 years old. Sometimes people who are single, they just feel like, oh, I'll only be happy if I'm married. And then some people who are married, <laughs> very quietly, <laughs> say, mm. what's that one guy said? He said, uh, he said, son, I didn't realize what true happiness was until I got married. And then it was too late. That's what his advice to his son. <laughs> Marriage is like, a, like a, a screen door, right, on your house. The flies that are on the screen door. The ones on the outside are trying to get in. The ones on the inside are trying to get out. Find contentment. Wherever you find yourself today. You're married, be content. You're single, be content. Both situations have their advantages. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 7. You could write this down, this, this reference. Verse 32 through 35. I'll read it in the message version. Paul says, I want you to live as free of complications as possible. When you're unmarried, you're free to concentrate on simply pleasing the master and getting really good at Xbox. Marriage involves you in all the nuts and bolts of domestic life and in wanting to please your spouse, leading to, uh, leading to so many more demands on your attention. The time and energy that married people spend on caring for and nurturing each other, the unmarried can spend in becoming whole and holy instruments of God. I'm trying to be helpful and make it easy as possible for you, not to make things harder. All I want for you is to be able to develop a way of life in which you can spend plenty of time together with the master without lots of distractions. Being single has its freedoms, and it is a unique season. You have more time for the Lord. You can, you can decide to go serve God on a mission trip without having to check the family calendar. Uh, but whatever estate you find yourself in today, you say, God... I want to be content. I'm married. I want to be content. I'm single. I want to be content. If you want to get married, by the way, go for it. Work on becoming the person that God wants you to be. Instead of seeking after Mr. Right, become Mrs. Right. Become that person that is walking with Jesus Christ passionately, giving yourself completely to him. Because it will prepare you for marriage. So I say don't rush into marriage Here's something else we talk about God's intent for marriage. It's seek a mate that loves Jesus. It is absolutely God's will for you to find someone that loves Jesus Christ passionately as you do. Do you have any guidelines, those of you who are not married today? Those of you guys who have friends that aren't married, ask them, what are you looking for? Uh, a 401k? Uh, well, you're going to be, let's talk about like physical attraction. Yeah, you're going to be attracted to your spouse. Uh, you, there ought to be some sort of chemistry, I guess, is what we would say. Like, oh, man, it's like, they're so pretty, they're so handsome. Man, I just, I, I, I'm attracted to that person. So we're talking about physical attraction. How about spiritual attraction? Again, you got to find someone who loves Jesus. You got to have, you got to look for someone who loves God more than you love God. Because there's got to be a spiritual compatibility to your lives. You cannot be unequally yoked, according to Paul, as you got to marry someone who loves the Lord. There's got to be an emotional con connection. Do they build you up? 
Do they make you feel like that you're uh, like, you know, an important human being in this world? Or are they always tearing you down? You know, there's a lot of people who are good looking, a lot of people who, you know, like carry their Bible and know lots of scripture, but they make you feel like a piece of dog garbage. <laughs> and you just go, oh, I, I must be, they just love Jesus so much, they, they just must be so in tune with the Holy Spirit. You just go like, dude, run for your life. You want to carry that kind of garbage all around? This is why it's important to have godly, healthy people around us that say, hey, I want to talk to you about your relationship to Satan. Can you, like, what is up? Why would you want to continue that relationship? I mean, can I get a healthy amen from that one? It's like, dude, emotionally, build you up or not? They tear you down. Like, that is a massive demerit on their end. And then direction. Are you guys going the same direction? Sort of like the directional part of your life. And some people want to go serve God on the mission field. And they might be attracted to someone who's like, man, I, I want to stay in California. And I want to serve God here in the States. Hey, if, if you don't want to go and, you know, raise babies in Kenya, you're not a bad person. But you're going to have somebody that's going to line up with that. And you're going to go, okay, this is awesome. There's got to be some inner qualities. Here's the thing. What do other people say about that person that you want to date or you want to be married to? Do other people say positive things about your relationship? You ought to have people speaking into that. Young people here this morning, those who are single here this morning, be open to people giving positive and truthful feedback to you. Don't bury your head in the sand. We're talking about your entire life. Your entire life. In fact, that's a great question to ask too. Am I willing to spend the rest of my life under the same roof with that sinner? Till death do us part. Because that's exactly what you're signing up to do when you feed a bunch of people you won't see for a long time, chicken and pasta, whatever else you paid for, for them to show up to your wedding. And hopefully get you some good stuff, right? I mean, can we be honest? When Tam and I got married, there was gotchocks. And I think that was all you could register for. And I wanted to get like, hey, there's this cool Sony stereo with this awesome, you know, like receiver and all this stuff. And she's like, I'd like to get the gravy boat. So 25 years later, we've got an amazing gravy boat that I don't know that we've used more than one time. So I'm just telling you, we could have danced, all that kind of stuff. We didn't have dancing at our wedding because we were real Christians, but we could have danced to that cool stereo. But whatever. I submit to one another as unto the Lord. It's not wrong to get married. Where do you find that person? Go online. People ask me like, hey, do you, th do you think it's wrong to meet somebody online? I'm like, I think it might be better than your friends like, oh, guess what? I got a guy for you. <laughs> I want to I know that they answered 150 questions is what I would want to know, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Hey, what's your strength finder say? Okay, yeah, no, I can't get with that. Getting married is a good thing too, by the way. The disciples are scared. They're like, why do you tell us this, Jesus? I wish I would have invited you to my bachelor party because now I'm married and now I'm scared. He says, don't be scared. It's a good thing. You have companionship. You have a best friend. You have a lover. You have someone that will challenge you to grow in ways that you'll never grow as a single person. But you gotta look at what, what we've looked at, like what's the biblical reason for divorce? Let's divorce-proof our marriages. Jesus said, you got to make your marriage your highest priority when he said, a man shall leave 
leave his father and mother and be joined, united, cleaved to his wife. And the two shall become one. And what God has joined together, let not any man separate. You've got to leave and cleave or hold fast to. The priority of your life now is that relationship. That's why Paul was saying, I'm trying to like, help you. Chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. It's supposed to be this holding fast is like a glue that binds you two together. Do you remember when super glue came out? And they told you like, listen, this is real, it glues super fast. Do not rub your fingers together. And then you're just like, let's all put super glue on our fingers. <laughs> and we're like walking around like, you know, we're Hare Krishnas or something like that. It's like, no, I just got that super glue from Thrifties. You got to get a blowtorch to cut that thing open. Like that, binding your lives together. Like unbreakable. Leave. It means that this is the primary relationship in your life. Can I ask you married people today, is that true of your marriage? Have you truly left the nest? Does your spouse feel that from you? Your relationship to your husband or your wife, it is the primary relationship above your mom, your dad, your best friends, and your tiny little messiahs that your marriage brings into the world. Because they can be very, they could be a big distraction, can't they? And I've seen all too often husbands and wives direct their attention away from each other and put them on the kids. Your kids will be fine not doing all-stars or doing 50 events. You say, oh, we don't have time to date. Well, there is, there is a thing on your phone it's called a calendar. And you know what you can do? Delete, 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 delete. Your marriage is a priority. You leave your father and mother and you become united to your wife, to your husband. Make sure your spouse feels that you've left and that you believe that you two are one in God's eyes and you hold fast to each other. Not like a, well, I guess we're stuck together. We should try to make it work. Remember that Huey Lewis song? I'm so, I'm so glad to be stuck with you. Or I'm so happy to be stuck with you. It was like sung about 150 years ago. It's not that. It's, man, I'm going to do everything possible to be united to you. I'm going to deliberately cling to you. In Malachi 2.14, God says he called that, that man who was willing to divorce his wife for ridiculous reasons. He said, your wife is your companion. Here's what it means. It means one to whom you are united in thoughts, goals, plans, and efforts. Thoughts, goals, plans, efforts. Does that describe your marriage today? Are you united like that? Well, that's what you're supposed to be. Your spouse is supposed to be your best friend. I want to encourage, make your mate your priority. Date weekly. Commit to knowing and understanding each other. That's going to take a lot of talking and communication. As somebody said, communication is the lifeblood of marriage. You get on the same page. And by the way, you give each other the same amount of grace that Jesus gives you when he said, forgive one another even as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. As somebody said, a good marriage is the union of two really good forgivers. Do you have a grudge against your spouse today? 
choose to forgive them because you got a boatload of sin that God has forgiven you. No amens at that moment from your spouse. Pray together. Serve together. Join a serve team together. I mean, if you're going to fight, at least do it doing something for the Lord, right? (laughs) Worship together. Get to church together and worship God sitting hand in hand and praising God together. You know, this week, as Jeremiah brought up, we have some next steps that we're encouraging people to take every single week. This isn't just a, hey, if you're new here, fill this out. This is if you're a, a follower of Jesus. You have a prayer request, you jot it down. But there's also next steps for everyone to take. In fact, I would encourage you to pull those out even as we close up our, our service this morning. I'm asking married people this week to commit to dating your mate. Maybe you're dating your mate on a consistent, regular basis. I say weekly, that's just a goal to have. But maybe you're not doing it. I want you to say, we're going to make a commitment. I'm going to make a commitment to carving out time to connect with my spouse on a weekly basis. Where you can talk more than just bills and where Johnny's got to go play baseball this weekend. You could talk about your goals, your dreams, getting on the same page. and Maybe some things that you guys see that you need to work on together. There's another next step you can take. It's, I'm going to seek out a mentor for my marriage. A lot of times what we need is just someone to come alongside of us, either as an individual or as a husband and wife. You say, I'm going to seek somebody out. If you need some help doing that, let us know. We'll find somebody that will be willing to connect with you on a consistent and regular basis to just encourage you, to pray with you and for you, for your marriage or for your future marriage, the things that you want to see God do in your life. Marriage is awesome. I've been married for 26 years this July, July the 25th. We got married. It was 178 degrees here in Fresno. It's a beautiful day. We had a reception at the Hacienda, uh, which I don't even think exists anymore. But it was an amazing day. I can't. Even, I look back there and I'm like, going, man, I was 21 years old marrying this beautiful 22 year old girl who's stealing Robin from the cradle. And it is an awesome, awesome blessing. I mean, I'm truly blessed. Tammy's sort of blessed. But marriage is not going to be that end all for what your heart really longs for and desires. Your heart longs for a relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of you got married thinking that that was going to be the end all. Finally, I'll be happy. And you realize you didn't marry the son of God. You married, well, maybe his mom's name is Mary, but that's as far as the, the, uh, the little analogy goes. You married a sinner who needs Jesus as much as you do. Can I encourage you as our team's gonna come and they're gonna close us out in a time of worship? Take some pressure off your marriage. Make knowing Jesus your highest priority. In fact, if nothing changes in your household, I can promise you that in 12 months of you pursuing Jesus as your number one priority, you will find that you'll look at your marriage with a more favorable eye. You'll find that it's actually more pleasant. It'll just change, it'll grow. And maybe you're here this morning and we talk about marriage and what the Bible has to say about it. Listen, can I encourage you? Again, marriage is not the end all. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to know him in a personal way. Many get married and are disappointed. But it's only a relationship with Jesus that can truly satisfy us at the soul level. Jesus came to give us life and that more abundantly. And that's something that he offers every single person around this globe and especially those in this room.
Maybe this morning as you sit and we've been singing and worshiping, we've been reading God's word and what God has to say about marriage and divorce and being single. And maybe as you sit here this morning, you're like, man, I don't know that I have a relationship with God. You know, being a Christian isn't, uh, doesn't mean that you go to church, although Christians go to church. Being a Christian doesn't mean you try to be a better person, although Christians actually will improve their living and their lives. Being a Christian means that you've come to a place in your life, having the hope of eternal life in heaven means you've come to a place in your life where you recognize that you have sinned and you've broken God's commands and that you need a Savior. And this morning, as we close out our time, before I encourage you all to go and receive prayer as we sing and worship through song, I want to give you, maybe one of you this morning, an opportunity to give your lives to Jesus Christ, to know him in a personal way, to have your sins forgiven, The Bible says that God so loved you that he gave his only son and that if you would believe in him, John 3, 16 confirms that you will have eternal life. What do you do to believe in him? You you say, God, I recognize my sinner. God, I choose to turn away from my sin and I choose to receive you into my life as my Lord and Savior. Would you pray with me now? Father, thank you this morning for your grace, your love for each and every one of us. You would give us enough in your word to learn about marriage. God, to know what it means to be married, to be, to be married. God, to know the, uh, God, the ramifications of, 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 of pursuing a frivolous divorce. And Lord, I pray for those who are here this morning. God, those who are married, strengthen them, Father. Those who are single today, God, give them hope, Jesus, the fact that, that, that one day, God, according to your timing and plan, God, that you will bring them that spouse. Lord, we believe there's a perfect one for them. And Father, I also pray for those who don't know you this morning. God, there might be some this morning who never yielded their hearts to you, God. They're not certain if they were to die today that they would go to heaven. Lord, your word tells us that you demonstrated your love for them in that while they, while I, while this world was in sin, you died for us on the cross because you love them today. Lord, would you speak to their hearts right now? And You know, with heads bowed, nice closed, if, if this morning is a day you're ready to say, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want him in my life. I want my sins forgiven. I want to begin a relationship with God today. I want to give you that opportunity right where you're sitting. We'll, we'll tell God together what you want him to do in your life. But I want you to simply acknowledge that by lifting up your hand high enough so I can see it. And let's pray together today. You want Jesus Christ in your life. You want your sins forgiven. You want to begin a relationship with him this morning. Anybody here this morning? And he loves each and every one of you today. If that's you, we don't want to leave a morning without giving somebody an opportunity to turn their hearts to him. Well, Lord, we say thank you today, God, for your word. We thank, thank you for your grace. And Father, I want to pray blessings on us. Each and every one of us, God, as we continue to, to worship you, God, and to serve you, may you bless each and every person here this morning. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. And listen, I'm going to encourage you to stand with me as we close out in our our time of worship. I'm also going to encourage you this morning to, if you need some prayer today, maybe your husband and wife need some prayer. You go off to to these sides and receive receive prayer. There's teams on both sides that will pray for you. And by the way, you can find them after the service as well if you need prayer. Maybe you've got something going on in your life this week. You want someone to pray with you and for you. You take this moment and you walk over there as well. Let's worship God.